forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah. This is how we do it. Um, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourselves on the microphone uh, so the listener knows what your voice sounds like and who you are, starting with you, Amelia. Oh, should I just say my name and, and title? Like what? Just say Tell my some name? of the things you've worked on. Okay. That would be helpful. So I'm Amelia Serrano. Um, I originally started as a half-hour writer and then got stuck in an hour-long world mm-hmm. for a couple years. And then now I'm kind of in this very... Um, ambiguous half hour dramedy something something basically I'll take all jobs <laughs> what, what has it been most recently that is a weird half hour dramedy um, I am working on right now a Netflix show called Hentified mm-hmm. which started which they cre- macro created it with America Ferrera specifically for Sundance to get some buzz and then sold it to Netflix. So mm-hmm. that's considered a half hour dramedy sure. because it's about hentification, which is mm-hmm. different than gentrification. So to try to make that hilarious <laughs> <laughs> is where the dramedy comes in a little bit. And you, I see you were also like, you were on these sort of light hours like uh, Jane the Virgin. And yeah, the Jane Finder. the Virgin, The Finder. Um, I just uh, got happily rejected by NBC on my pilot yesterday. Oh, you heard. I'm sorry. So that was a that was a multicam. Again, everything. Just just everything, I yeah, guess. Yeah, that's a multicam. That's funny. Yeah. All right. We'll get into it. Yeah. Uh, Cassia. Hi, I'm Cassia Miller. Um, I am a comedy writer, and I'm most recently on Last Man on Earth, and um, now I'm writing on The Good Place. And you have... A performance background. Yeah, yeah. Which we can sort of get into when we get into this stuff. Cool. But do you want to talk about that for a second? I Yeah, I started in comedy at the UCB, which hopefully isn't dying its last death <laughs> now. But um, it, I, it has a very special place in my heart. And I was performing and improv and writing sketch. So I was mm-hmm. kind of doing both at the same time. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. All right. I want to talk about okay. that. That's cool. Shukri. Uh, I'm Shukri Tillman, uh, drama writer, most recently on This Is Us. Uh, and before that, Vampire Diaries, a small cable show called Satisfaction. What was uh, that show? Will you remind me what that show yeah, was? Yeah, <laughs> it was basically, it was about a dude, uh, it was about a married guy who finds out his wife is cheating on him, and then finds out his wife is cheating on him with a male prostitute, and then decides to become a male prostitute. Sure. That yeah. whole story. Yeah. yeah. It's aspirational. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It didn't last very long. Only two seasons. Was that though. your first uh, narrative writing gig? That was your... my first job. Did that yeah. move you to LA? That essentially moved me to LA. That was, I start. they didn't know at the time that I did not live in LA, that old classic story. That's funny. And I got on a plane. I was living in New York and I got on a plane the next day to take an interview and start that was like a Wednesday and then got the job and started that Monday. So oh my God. Moved. Little did yeah. they know I had moved. What were you what were you doing in New York at the time? How were you and we had we talked about this a little before sure. the, the mics went on, but you sure. were sort of going back and forth for a couple of years. I was well I have a past life as a documentary mm-hmm. filmmaker. Um, and so I had made two projects for uh, PBS um, and so I was doing that, and I was in graduate school uh, for screenwriting, so just writing and trying to, you know, trying to get on like everybody else. Um, and uh, and then 
you know, go, coming out to L.A. to try to meet people and do the whole whatever mm-hmm. that is to try to, you <laughs> right. know. Uh, get representation, which never actually works. Any any of that stuff. <laughs> uh, eventually, got uh, a pilot of mine got some attention, um, and I got a manager sort of off of that who happened to be in New York. He had just moved oh, from okay. L.A., uh, so that worked. And then nothing happened for a couple of years, uh, and then all of a sudden, I got this this call from satisfaction. Um, I want to I want to sort of take apart some of these pieces, which sure. I'm, I'm going to do for all of you. But so you were. Um, Making documentaries, yes, and uh, writing as well, yes. Uh, so you were in this writing grad program. You know, yes. you were writing your own stuff. I'm curious to hear how documentary filmmaking informed the narrative writing you were doing. That's a great question. I think I, I'll I'll answer that in two ways. The Documentary filmmaking does is not uh, does not provide enough money for it to be one's day job. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so my day job was that I I was an editor. I edited reality television uh, and docu series and docu soap series and HGTV and whatever all this other stuff. CMT that really probably uh, more than uh, documentary filmmaking itself probably prepared me the most mm-hmm. uh, because sitting in a room trying to make sense and story out of nothing um, and doing that in an act act structure with with act breaks and all that and doing it with pictures um, really was very akin to doing that on the page with Mm -hmm. words. Um, And so having to do that day in, day out, day in, day out uh, for several years really was huge preparation. Um, Allowed me to sort of ease into the writing room, I think transition into the writing room Sure, it seems well. like you're learning story, right? You're learning Absolutely. structure by doing that. Absolutely. And you can start to translate it. And you're the person awesome. sort of uh, with the burden of having to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the documentary filmmaking part was really, that was the only time where I was very lucky to get funded to do a documentary um, at, you know, at 29, 30, whatever it was. But it was the first time that I was sort of uh, in charge of a story mm-hmm. and also in charge of a staff of people <laughs> and an editor, producers, interns uh, to try to make this thing and try to sort of fashion what my voice would be. Um, and that had a direct correlation to trying to fashion what one's voice would be on the page also. So Yeah, makes sense. Uh, that's interesting. All right, we'll get back to it. Um, Cassie, I want to ask you a similar question, yeah. which is sort of going through that UCB program, which, yeah. you know, I think we both have a lot of friends who have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, the writing is sort of secondary to, I don't know how it is in New York, but here certainly it was, to yeah. the, the performance aspect. Yeah. Well, I, I was kind of doing sketch classes at the same time as I was doing improv, and mm-hmm. they kind of helped each other because UCB teaches you the concept of what a game is. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a, a intellectual idea, but once if you're performing it, it's easier to find, oh, it's just like what the funny, unusual thing is that you're doing. Um, and so... I think that performing did help me hone my voice. You realize you can just like explore what you find funny, you know, mm-hmm. and then um, writing at the same time was helpful for that. And then um, I think the most helpful thing is that when I, I was put on a house sketch team and we did writer's rooms, I mean, and it's like hmm. not at all different from what we sit around doing every day. You know, you'd bring in a sketch or two or three and people, you would read it aloud, which, you know, you, you don't do in the room now, but like people would give feedback and you just got very used to 
implementing changes and giving thoughts on other people's work. So yeah. it was a free... Uh, well, we've had to pay for it because we had to like pay for the sketches. Um, it was, uh, I guess, that's a good way. Um, yeah, so it was cool because I was like, oh, I'm I'm used to and I'm comfortable going into my first actual writer's room being in mm -hmm. this kind of environment. So oh, I was cool. too, super grateful for yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, you do encounter a lot of writers, especially young writers or new writers who like are not socialized in that yeah. way because writers tend to do the work by themselves. Um, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. I, I want to pick up there when we come back. Uh, Amelia, where did you come from? What is your, what was your, um, uh, I was in advertising. I was an ad writer um, for a long time. I grew up obsessed watching TV and also obsessed with the commercials. So because I thought, well, I'll never write on TV because that didn't seem an, like an approachable dream for a blue-collar family kid, you know, mm -hmm. um, especially immigrant parents. Um, that's funny. I mean, uh, where where did you grow up? In the Bay Area, in okay. the East Bay. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, so you're removed from Hollywood. Yeah, really like removed. And I, when I think you're, you're probably a little younger than I am, but still, like, you grew up with that idea that that is a very – like there's a, a close, it's a closed off world. Right? Yeah, it, it it really is like the Wizard of Oz. You're like, who gets to see what's over yeah. there? The curtain. I mean, it's just crazy. So when did you become aware that writing is a thing you could do um, to make a living? My mom was like Mexican flash dance. She would work at the car factory during the day, and then she would go on auditions and <laughs> sing mariachi music and boleros. Oh and um, she would take me. You know, you split up the kids. You, not one person can take everybody. So I either like did junkyard runs with my dad because he also worked in the car factory, or I went with my mom on these auditions, and it would annoy me. Like I was so annoyed being like on BART for an hour and then like waiting for her. Um, and then she would record music and I'd be like, I'd be like my daughter outside waiting, like so annoyed. And what I noticed is that I loved the behind the scenes part, but I didn't love the stage part. Hmm. So from an early age, I was like, oh, well, that's a cool creative process. But, you know, I'll just put it in the back of my head and I'll just appreciate it right. from afar. And then um, after college, through, through college, I wanted to be an ad writer. That seemed accessible. Hmm. Like every city had... Sure. Something to do. Um, and then I was right near San Francisco and it seemed fine. So um, after that, I, you know, started literally after college, like as a receptionist, like mm -hmm. waiting for an opportunity and a job. And that would did I did really, really well. I still love it. Like now and then I'll have friends that call me and they're like, can you come and help us for a week or three That's days? Fine. And and it's just really fun to have that quickness still. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was a point where I was offered um, – a high-level creative job at Shiat Day, and I sat with this movie writer that was a friend of my husband's. His name is Stevie Long, and um, he wrote the Starsky and Hutch, the Ben Stiller one. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, if I take this job, I will never, ever do anything else again. I know yeah. it. And so I said, I don't know. Like, you know, here's here's a point. It's like that point in the movie. You're like, here's the point. Do you yeah. take the road trip or not yeah. the road trip? <laughs> and he said, um, how much money do you need to make? just to pay your bills. And I calculated it and I said, oh, I think I only need to make like 20 bucks an hour. <laughs> you know, like I had come up with this number and he goes- Is that still your quote? That's still, yeah. <laughs> well, now with Netflix. Uh, <laughs> um, and so I he, I, he said, you should quit. And so yeah. I went in that day and I gave my notice 
And that was it. And did I had you never looked back. A goal in mind quitting? Like, did you know what the next steps were? I had written um, a feature okay. and um, not a very good one, I'm sure. And I had written a couple <laughs> half hours um, using Microsoft Word. I hadn't even bought Final Draft yet. I was going to ask this. <laughs> yeah. I'm always so curious to know, like, for people who are so outside of the yeah. business, like, especially then when everything wasn't so available, yeah. like, how did you find? that stuff, how did you know even what a script looked like? It was, um, you know, I came here and gave myself six months, <laughs> which was so funny. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, so when people say, should I move here? Uh, you should move here because I naturally met people. Mm-hmm. Like I met, um, this sounds like so horrible, but all my female friends ended up, like three of them had husbands who worked in the business. Mm-hmm. I would never have found that living in San Francisco or Boston and Seattle. Yeah or even New York when I was there for a couple of projects. So out of that and having dinner parties, um, they were like, do you have something? And I thought, shit, if I get keep getting asked this and I don't have something, yeah. I'm super fucking myself. So I started, oh, can I have a script of whatever show you're on or you know whatever you That's have? Right. And so I would read that and, and copy it and just kind of tell a story. Um, and of course, all the first stories were about my mom and I, but because um, <laughs> well, you, sure. I mean, yeah, that's... I mean, every little piece has a bit of my mom in it. So I was <laughs> like, that's just the therapy of it. Um, and then that was it. And so I just kept on doing it, knowing I could take the hits, like shoot, like UCB. Yeah. People are like, sorry, you suck. Try again. And you're yeah. like, okay, great, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, advertising is very similar. Um, there's actually very little writing on a TV show unless it's your episode. There's yeah. a lot of brain work and pitching and, yeah. you know, yeah. putting things up on a wall and a lot the of that. room is where the least writing It happens. is. It does. You know, people it's are weird. like, so Talking. do you write? Yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, no, it's that and lunch and that's it. <laughs> um, so the advertising piece of it just allowed – my brain to constantly be really quick mm-hmm. and to not take it personal if something, you know, somebody didn't like it or the joke didn't land or, oh, we're not going to do this, you know, we're, funerals aren't funny and guess we're going to rewrite it. Then, you know, okay, you know, you're like annoyed and for like 15 minutes, but, yeah. you know, you're used to the, the constant grind of it. Um, and so that, all of that stuff had really, unknowns to me had been like, that this is the world you're going to be okay yeah. in. Um, so, that's, so that's why I say like, oh, the BART ride for 45 minutes <laughs> <laughs> gets me used to the commute to Sunset and Gower, sure. you know? Uh, what was the thing that sort of broke you through? Was there was there a piece of writing that got you noticed, that got you reps, something like that? Um, I wrote um, a feature about a teenage mariachi singer who secretly wanted to be a country star. <laughs> oh, I love it. It just I, I want to watch that show. <laughs> because, like, my um, recovered gang member cousins made fun of me when they were in my car once, and they turned on the radio, and country music was on. And they were like, oh! You know? And I was like, oh, change the buttons. <laughs> But then the whole time I was like, dude, it's the same as ranchero music. It has mm-hmm. the same. There's boots. There's cowboy hats. <laughs> there's guitars. There, And yeah. so out of that, which a lot of my story, I mostly write original stuff of uh, Latino American stuff. But um, it, out of that came this. And Noah Hawley, who happened to be dating a friend of mine. Um, you know, she was like, I'm going to have him read it. And I was like, uh, first of all, he doesn't seem funny at all. <laughs> no offense. Do not show him that. I'm pretty sure he owns cashmere socks. Um, 
<laughs> and he read it, and in true Noah Hawley form, um, and I'm, I'm not sure if you met him in person, mm-hmm. but if you watch five seconds of a panel he's done, he went, um, read it, and um, I think you're funny. <laughs> and I was like, uh, do you? Like, I'm not sure. Right. Tell your face. Yeah, and he was like, uh, if I ever have a show, um, I would hire you. And when he did, he hired me. That's amazing. amazing. And that was the first thing, and I'd been working ever since. And that Listen, was about wow. 10 years ago. That's wild. Seven shows ago, 10 years right. ago. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, I, all right, I want to pick up there, uh, and there's some stuff I want to dig in on. But you touched on uh, something that I think is worth talking about for all of us, which is uh, autobiography in the work that you do for yourself, but more that you do for others. You know, you, all of our resumes have us working for other people, you mm-hmm. know, sort of serving a showrunner uh a showrunner's vision. And I'm curious about telling your own story within that context. Mm. Um, I'm curious to hear about The Good Place specifically because it feels like those writers are getting to have a voice um, but also serve this bigger story and serve Mike's vision. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they're definitely, like, I came in season three and so the the characters were already well established and then when I met all the writers, I was like, oh, interesting, you're a little bit of an Eleanor and, like, you know, you kind of, like, there's... And you see the facility with which certain writers can just pop out perfect lines for certain characters and um, that's great. Um, But I don't think, you know, there's not a ton of, like, telling of personal stories to be used, probably because it's just such a high concept Mm -hmm. show, and we all live on Earth, and the show doesn't, so. (laughs) Um, But I think... Does it just tell us? I know. (laughs) Well, we Um, won't tell anybody. It's actually a Mars. (laughs) Um, No. (laughs) That's a good question. Um, So I don't find, you know, when I'm... I've written some stuff that's like more drawn on my own life for myself, but I think that where my autobiography to say comes in when we're breaking stories, I keep just going back to what is the emotional truth for me if I were in that situation. And sometimes, you know, that helps with story just to Mm -hmm. be like, this is, this is how I would feel, or, you know, this is what I would do. And I think that that's probably the most uh, autobiographical I get in such a high concept room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about on well, the stuff you've worked on? I mean, you know, I spent the last couple of years on a family drama yeah. on, on This Is Us, and I don't think that there's a story that we've done that isn't drawn from some writers or a combination of, mm-hmm. of writers' own personal experiences. So we spent a lot of time in the breaking story part, almost literally beginning with what ha- what is this anything like something that may have happened to you? Yeah. Mm. Uh, is there anything that we can sort of generate that's along this theme that might be real to one of us? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, that then gets fictionalized and other people's stories gets put on top of it and it becomes something different from where we started. But um, that, that unlike other shows, it hasn't quite been that literal, that, yeah. that sort of quite A to B. Um, but certainly on this show, that's that's, you know, we rewrote, there was an episode last year about uh, uh, 
Randall going to visit. Uh, he was he was a senior in high school and he was going to visit uh, a black college, and what it meant to sort of like uh, do that, do the college visit. What hmm. it meant for him, himself, his own self image. And that was drawn from like personal experiences that we had had. We weren't adopted black kids in white families necessarily, but that experience of sort of like being 17 and trying to figure out who you are and how that works with your where you choose to visit a college, what it means to visit a, uh, an HBCU. So mm -hmm. those are things that that's just a small example, but um, we I, we try to draw you know from our from our own mm -hmm. lives. Is there anything that you like don't want to share because you're like I might work on that myself? <laughs> yes, actually, all the yeah. time. But, uh, <laughs> but I tell us now we're using yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I just I think that yeah I I there's stuff that I'm like oh man that is a that's a story for my pilot yeah <laughs> but uh you know I feel like if you just say it then ultimately it gets changed anyway there is that thing in the room right and I feel like you know you, you worked on these shows that sort of turn through stories as well Amelia where like nothing is pre like you get to a point where nothing is precious where you, you are can't sort be of precious. throwing ideas out yeah I mean a lot of times um <clears throat> especially if I'm working on a you know Latinx show, there, there are a lot of people who are trying to say, oh, this happened to me when my family or with my mom or dad. But um, what I find is that if I'm there to serve the show, yeah. then I should pitch my best work. And like you said, it, it'll end up being filtered right. and fucked with by the time right. it gets to, you know, to the shooting draft. So right. that's okay. But um I don't think I've held anything back on purpose. I do find sometimes if I say something that's a joke, um, that may may be something I've said before, they're like, oh, yeah, let's use that. And I was like, oh, uh, but I have used it. Right, it's right. not sure. like I think you read it as my sample before I started this job. Um, but on when I was working on Cristela, which was a multicam, that was a literal um, episode where it was – I was confused for the nanny because my kids are blonde. Mm -hmm. And so Christella would take care of her um, sister's kids and she was confused for the nanny. And so that just was kind of a, a natural story to tell like, oh, all these times we sure. were confused. For, I mean, I literally still to this day it, it, am asked for it. And a lot of times now I just fuck with people and I'll be like, I don't know. Because it's so, I get I get it, like, I don't look exactly like what a lot of people think, and then my kids don't look exactly. And so from that was all this humor, and that was like, a, like oh, that's let's take that experience. Mm -hmm. um, like on Hentified, um, I didn't experience gentrification when we lived in the East Bay, but I'm a Hentifier of Venice, so mm, I can speak as... Um, a, light, a Latina and a white Tina, yeah. um, as um, could be slightly offensive, <laughs> depending on how they say it to me, um, <laughs> is something that I can also speak to. So a lot of times uh, I used to think it was negative that I started in the business so late. You know, I was like, I'm married. I have a kid. I've done this. But then when you realize they, it's really in the autobiographical pitches, that's mm -hmm. when I was like, oh, shit. Shit, my life has been way too lived for this. Yeah. Also, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that I has have ten years more story. Yeah, than it was yeah. like, and, and like you, I was kind of naive. It was nobody said, "Oh, hey, you're a staff writer, don't talk." Yeah, and I also mm. was older, so it just. I mean, it was again. I was respectable in in terms of the collaboration because I came from 
an industry that had a group right. setting like that. So that was always the case anyway. But I have seen staff writers that say nothing. Yeah. And I'll take them aside and I'll be like, hey, so um, just, yeah, just say it. Like, who cares? Because I don't know who told them that or if they were told that and or if some mentor said, hey, hmm. shut up until the back nine. I don't know. But it doesn't. I think that doesn't serve them to say nothing. Yeah. You know, that then you're just a warm body. Well, yeah. it's something that's come up on on this podcast in the past and it's it's sort of about reading the room, right? Yeah. Which is something that can't be taught. Yeah. Right? There are yeah. rooms where you should be like everyone should be piping up and there are rooms where that's not how the showrunner runs that mm-hmm. show. So I'm curious to hear about, you know, how you all learn that. Clearly you had experiences before getting into writers rooms that led to that, but when you were in the rooms, like what was, what was a tough room to learn to read? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Rizzoli Niles. Was it? <laughs> Why? Um, it was the worst room I've ever been in. How so? Um, it was um, the showrunner was really intense. Uh, it was a small room, and so it was, it, it was a place where. Um, you, you didn't know what the emotion was going to be day to day. So even if you read the room yeah. super smart on Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday could be different. <laughs> Thursday could be different. And so that was the most challenging for me. And and by the way, like amazing, fun, right? All the writers in that room are mm-hmm. still my friends to this day. So that's, that's how you know sure. everybody feels that, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. <laughs> when you're all like, okay, we sur- I get a badge, right, for surviving this. Absolutely. Um, because I think w- if you can read the room, then even if it's a bad or good room, that's a good situation to be in because you know what you're going mm-hmm. into versus like, shit, you go in the parking lot. And you're like, I don't know what this day is going to look like. Yeah. What does, uh, hard to, what does that mean exactly? Like Meaning like somebody's going to shit on your pitch or like or um, hard to read like it's going to be a it, it would just be there was a lot of uh tension i mean i'm not telling it any new sure. news that no, anybody on that show <laughs> would that ever say yeah so we're, but still if curious. you ask somebody this is also how you know people know is if you go into yeah. a meeting and they go oh how was Rosalie Niles that means they don't know shit if they're like how was it that's like everybody knows. so yeah. you kind of you know you kind of know the difference um it was a lot of, I think, paranoia between the showrunner and the lead. And then from that, I think that just kind of permeated a lot, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it. And so that it's a difficult workplace. It totally creates yeah. a difference. And we weren't even in production, so I didn't know sure. what, you know, what was happening. But, but there's, and, you know, it may not be the star. It may be, you know, a producer. It may be a studio or whatever. But there can often be that relationship that is way above your sure. pay grade, right? Right, so right. So how do you deal with coming into that room every day and working with the other writers? Um, <coughs> you know, you huddle together <laughs> every morning <laughs> and you say, hey, that was bad yesterday. Or, you know, <laughs> hope today's not like that. Or, or you huddle together afterwards you know, there are definitely a lot of tears on the way home, you know, when you're like, because oh, sometimes you just don't realize the stress it gets to you. But I think the biggest thing for me is a showrunner job is handed to people without corporate <laughs> business experience. And so even I think people in general, you can be, you know how they yeah. say, um, <clears throat> you know, a person's character when like, 
they get punched in the face or if they owe somebody money. It's like the similar <laughs> thing. It's like, oh, all of yeah. a sudden, somebody with their Twitter feed is like, here you go. Here's a $15 million <laughs> business that you You're have to run. Now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the WJ program is once a year. It, mm-hmm. They've rejected real showrunners, which I don't fucking get. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I think after that, I kind of give a little bit of a middle child enabling pass <laughs> <laughs> where I go, okay, well, maybe they – Maybe this, sure. the stress is just getting to them, and yeah. um, but I think you've learned. I think you learn really well from a bad room. Yeah. Absolutely, and so For that's sure. that's kind of. Um, and I want I want to come back to that. Um, but Cassia, I want to ask about Last Man on Earth. Yeah. Um, and I was saying before we had you know a panel with all the writers on. Yeah. I think before the penultimate season. Yeah. Um, and it's a great room, but it was like. That just seemed like a lot of work. Yeah, I came in for season four and a, with an, a bunch of other new writers because our con- you know contracts are generally three years long, so uh, there had been room for change, I think. And I had, I think, like we took these things called hot walks. We worked out of Chatsworth, which was like you know beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it was far, but it was beautifully removed. <clears throat> It was so nice not being on a lot. It was like a a summer camp kind of, like where we were all just like in the same weird warehouse together. And one of the writers who had been on before like said like, yeah, the hours can be long. And um, so I was like, okay, I'm prepared for that. I had a a former life as a lawyer where I would pull all-nighters. I was like, this is not something that particularly scares me. Um, But the beauty of it, and we did have some long hours because Will – writes he he has his fingerprints on every word as he should because he's genius and he watches everything that's ever shot so between doing those things it's long hours for the writers but um i really loved that room because everybody was so supportive the new writers very much came in and were embraced and it felt like family kind of from day one and um I think we all really believed in the show. And so it was, it could be grueling. I mean, you know, Will like lived out of the Radisson in Chatsworth for most of it. And there were some, you know, nights where you're like, oh, I I guess it's safe to drive on this little sleep. Um, But I don't know. It felt like a fun blitz or something Mm -hmm. where I truly was like, I'm with people I love and it was really fun. Yeah. It makes all the hard work. Yeah. When you're like laughing so much and it's so supportive and a, and a true. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then you had the difficult conversation where, or the difficult situation we were talking before about coming into a what was it seventh season eighth eighth season yeah, show eighth and final being the one of the new writers on yeah. an eighth season show yeah which I was saying like we came in season seven on Supernatural yeah. and that was tough very difficult because I, p- pros and cons like the, the 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 difficult part is that everything you pitch has been done. Uh, first of all, yeah. w- before you get there, you have to catch up on a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> that's impossible. And you have like a week to do. You've it. got a week to do it or a weekend. Yeah, because oh uh, imp- you're the one of the lower levels. Yes, so you one of the last hires. That's like, right. Yeah, that so impossible, very hard to do. Um, and and sort of like there's a whole uh, that particular show, Vampire Diaries, was you know it's a mythology rich yeah. show. So not only is it it's been on the air for a long time, but it's got a ton of rules, and it's got a ton of things that have happened that you have to all of a sudden. And I'm not a genre writer. All of a sudden, <laughs> sort of like 
um, you know, become familiar with and in some ways expert in. The pro of it, though, and this kind of goes back to our the last question about rooms, is the pro of it, though, is by season eight, it's a machine. Yeah. yeah. And it's run <laughs> very, very well. Yeah. And so it's easy if and I give Julie Pleck a lot of credit. It's easy when you to, to get sort of just slotted in because there are people there that know how it goes. Uh, the stories are broken in yeah. a certain way. We know we need this in the first act, second act, third act. We need this many beats. This is how we're going to break story. And it, it's if and it's very efficient. And there even was sort of like uh, and so because of that. You, there isn't a long night. There aren't long nights. Right. You leave at 530. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You start at 11 o'clock in the morning and you get all your work done still. Um, so those are the pros. And I, I think I, I've only been in three different rooms and and they've all been very different. Uh, my first room was just six people. Cable show, 10 <laughs> episodes. Um, you know, you come in. I came in as a staff writer. And my, my to your point, my boss told me before he hired me, the only thing you can do wrong is not to say anything, <laughs> and then, other than that, that's great. You know, yeah, you're, so you're, 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 you'll be fine. And uh, which was inter- which was a little bit because naturally I don't want to talk a lot, um, and so it was that was actually a struggle for me to sort of like turn listening into talking, mm-hmm. and I uh, prefer to listen to understand before <laughs> I say something. But um, podcasting but, might not uh, be your medium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't crush dreams, Ben. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so that that was that was a very different experience than being in a ten-person genre room uh, where there was a ton of mythology and you had to sort of like get used to that. And pitches are completely different. You know, in a six-person room, it's like we're having a discussion. There yeah. is no such thing as a pitch. We're just talking. <laughs> mm-hmm. In a ten-person room, it's pitches on the table. What, what the hell is a pitch? You know, it's, sure. if I'm asking a question, is that a pitch? You know, so that that was a very different thing. And this is us, same thing, ten-person, but now it's drama. It's very personal. So now it's just about sharing stories, which is a whole different sort of like thing. It's a whole different way to get to sort of scripts. So, hmm. um, so it, it, it's been. I've had to adjust in different ways, and I think uh, depending on what the room is. But nobody has been insane yet, which is good. So it's, coming. it's good. It's, it's coming. coming. You're sure. you, everybody, sure. everybody has one. <laughs> um, that that reminds me. I wanted to ask uh, both of you, uh, Amelia and Cassia, about pitching story. Uh, I'm specifically curious about Jane the Virgin. Um, I was only there for three months. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I was, was there. Okay. Well, I was there on the back nine because uh, um, gotcha. like five writers had sold a script. Wow. And so they were like, okay, for sure two will probably go. <laughs> but we need a bomb. Right? And so me <laughs> and another writer came in and um, then nobody's pilot went to pilot. <laughs> oh so then I was like, oh, okay. I honestly, oddly, was not a good match for that show. Really? I... I um, Love all the writers. Again, it's a situation where you love all the writers. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt very, at times, just removed from the process because it had felt like, you know, they were in sync and things were happening. Um, But a lot of my story and pitches made it. um, There was very little writing. So for Mm -hmm. me, a lot of times I'm like, oh, there's not a lot of writing. I also don't want to be bored. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I'm I'm at a level now where I can't say no to all jobs, but I can definitely pick some. Mm-hmm. And so um, I didn't think I was a great match for it, um, 
which is odd because I think sometimes people are like, you're Latina, you're great for that show. And I was, <laughs> I was like, oh. Well, it's also a great show. Yeah. I mean, like. it's... It, Oddly enough, my favorite character is the Rogelio character, which is Jaime Camil. So much fun to write, right? Because he's also that in real life. Like, he literally... <laughs> I've heard that. He literally... I, I, okay, two weeks ago, most people who are celebrities are like, hey, um, look at my Fitbox, or here's the code for my Kardashian. <laughs> he's like... Here's a code for my Tesla. If you buy a Tesla, use my promo code. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? That is the most Rogelio thing to do to be like, here's a promo code for a Tesla? That's not a, Yeah, I know. <laughs> Let me that's know if you use it. Hilarious. Like, it's so... That's not a right. normal... No. You oh know, God. but that's... It is both generous and out of place. Yeah. <laughs> but also very Rogelio-esque yeah. for him to do it. And so, for me, the love of the humor of making fun of novelas was great um mm -hmm. jane the character which she's written in this certain way but i think for me as a person i was like oh i wish it was you know mm -hmm. more dirty is you know they protected her she was jane the virgin yeah. so i like to write characters that are just are a little bit more like rogelio actually mm -hmm. doesn't not you know fantastical parodies of it but um so it was enjoyable to be a part of it sure. but it wasn't like oh this is a match on a match sure sure yeah. that makes sense um you know I, I the the question i have and cassia maybe you can talk about this in regards to both the good place and last man on earth i yeah. think they're and uh the other one too what's it called trial and error, <laughs> trial and error. yeah i loved it um <laughs> cut that out please <laughs> <laughs> i think he's been on the show <laughs> um but the question is sort of about, like, you have this this rolling plot, right? Like, and I know Vampire Diaries was like this, too, and, and you touched on that. But, um, you know, you have a highly serialized stories. Um, where do you – at what point does, like, pitching plot come in? And, and what's your part of that? Like, how much does Mike know coming mm -hmm. in? How much does the group know coming in? Yeah, Um for The Good Place, it's very much like we know where the whole season is going to go before we start breaking each episode. And there's a little bit of movement in terms of that. But I remember when I started last year, um, there was like some of the producers had gotten together before the room started. And the first day was like Mike describing the entire season in like a lot of detail and I was like well sounds great <laughs> like okay you know and that was like Break amazing yeah exactly and on last man we were 18 episodes and we kind oh, of wow. it was a little bit more of a um discover as you go mm -hmm. and then it, it it that show ended up being a guessing game which I'm sure happens a lot of like will we get picked up again and so we're writing for an end that could be a cliffhanger yeah. and could be an end um, and and then I've gotten a lot of questions from my friends of like what was gonna happen if it got picked <laughs> up again um, so that one was what, a little bit were there bit... conversations about that? I mean you must have ended that last season yeah. saying like if we get more yeah I think that they were used to kind of a a last minute pickup for the past few seasons. Yeah. So I think it was kind of a, a, an emotional place that they were used to being in, but we definitely pitched lightly on season five and, um, but also like wanted to make sure, I think like the end of season three was like, 
a cliffhanger with like Kristen Wig with a gun on a boat. And it wasn't exactly like that's the season, you know. <laughs> and then the end of season four was a little bit more like this could live as the end of the season. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I want to ask all of you about um, like let's get let's get real deep on process. Let's get into the stuff that no other podcast wants to talk about. Um, <laughs> When you are on script or when you are left to your own devices, what does your process look like? Uh, how do you get the work done? Mm. You uh, mean I when imagine, they're like, go to script? Yeah, I mean, I imagine on most shows you're walking out with a pretty yeah. good outline, yeah. a pretty filled-in outline, so you're working off of that. So, And usually you'll have about a week, maybe less, uh, maybe a little more. But taking those things for granted, what does your day look like when you're on script? I like to start by saying that uh, Writers Guild says you have two, two weeks. weeks. <laughs> Is that serious? That's yes. So that's just that's two weeks. nobody. Uh, in 10 years, I've never been given two weeks. Oh my but uh, for our listeners, let's just say what we are legally allowed to have. I love it. Oh <laughs> and what we're actually given. That's crazy. Um, is not that. that. Yeah, it's not that. Um, so... For all the newbies, if you cannot write quickly in three days, you may not survive yeah. yet. So get that those words per minute up before yeah. you get into that writer's room. In a post-community world, it feels like three days is the minimum that people have instead of like 12 hours. Yeah, three yeah. <laughs> uh, three days. Um, on Hentified, I've been given a, a lot of days. Mm-hmm. Um and just because, it, and I'm not taking all those days, right. uh, you know, I want to turn it in and bring it into the room more because it's a first year show and yeah. it's a Netflix show. And so, you know, we finish everything before production. So I kind of right. wanted more, more of the, the, the room opinion of it before I kind of went off. Um, for myself, I like to write a dirty draft. Um, people call it a vomit draft. Mm-hmm. I don't like vomit, but um, a dirty draft. I like dirty draft. Dirty draft is like, yeah, don't shower. Yeah, <laughs> things get kind of nasty. A um, lot of typos, maybe. Right. Like, I don't give a shit about any of that stuff in the actually ever because I'm just like, get it out. I I'll hire a proofreader on my own pilots before I go, yeah. and I'm like, okay, go and test it out. Um, but I do. If it's a half hour, I could do um, a dirty draft in a day. Um, if I breathe a little bit, probably two to three days. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah, and to then just sort of get that out. Yeah, and then you know I take a little time and you know go to bed early, take a hit off the Pax vape, and I'm just like, <laughs> tomorrow you're gonna hit it. It's gonna be a clean draft, Amelia. Let's talk about that dirty draft for a minute, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna dig way in on this stuff because I'm so curious and I'm sort of in the midst of it now, so I've been thinking about it a lot, but like. What does your day look like? When do you get up? When do you sit down at the desk? Do you stand at the desk? Like, give me the give me the details on that. I'm an early morning person. Okay. I have, and you have kids. I have kids, but I'm I've always been an early morning person, and I have a lot of energy um, without coffee. So I know that if I can do it early, like I can write at six a.m., mm-hmm. but I will stop no matter what. I think on the Finder, which was my third show. I said in the room, um, you guys, just so you know, I'm awesome until three. And then I <laughs> suck. And Josh Friedman, who wrote um, the Sarah yes. Connor Chronicles, there at one point he's like, oh, my God, you weren't fucking with us. You really do. I just all of a sudden it's just like you can just see it's like a deflated balloon that just kind of slowly <laughs> shuts down. Um, because no matter what I do, I, there's something about a three to five thirty six window sure. for me that my brain's like, yeah. you're just going to suck right now. Um 
So it has to be in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that's that. I'm not also not an evening writer. Mm-hmm. I find that if I have to write in the evening, then I can't shut my brain down. Mm. And so that's when I started um, taking the cannabis stuff to go to sleep. <laughs> but sometimes you have to. Sometimes like, too bad, suck it up. You yeah. got to finish Work it. But it's it's almost like so challenging for me that mm. I hate it. I would rather get up at four in the morning yeah. and do it. It makes a lot of sense to me, too. Yeah. So, um, and do you – what's your setup? I have an office in my home. Mm-hmm. Um which I love and I'm obsessed with. And it's just my space That's of great. all my little Mexican brujeria altars uh, awesome. <laughs> in a very traditional, very traditional sense. Uh, it has its own bathroom. I have like cheesy mountain removable wallpaper and a little side desk in case somebody comes and, you know, takes notes for me. So um, I've never written in a coffee shop. People love it, mm-hmm. but I really like to have snacks. Um, uh, they have I, those in coffee shops. Yeah, but what, someone's going to steal my shit. I know. And where do you pee? You have to go. The, yeah, thing. it's yeah. like a. You can be like, oh, um, hi, random person. Watch my Mac. Like nobody's gonna. <laughs> right. Nobody's so gonna you, do you that. You lock yourself in that room pretty much for the duration of. Yeah. Getting those pages. Yeah, done. I'll take breaks. I mean, again, because of advertising, the discipline. Yeah. Is was already there. Like I don't. I don't believe in writer's block, and I feel like if I don't believe in it, it doesn't exist. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Just there's like, nothing you yeah. can't work through, right? Yeah, no, there's there's not. We, I could – a lot of times, too, is the psychology of getting through something. I do, and I don't know if this is from just upbringing, is I go, I could be working in a car factory. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I don't have a choice to take a break, and yeah. I don't have a choice to show up in pajamas. Yeah. So – there's a lot of that that I think I, I psych myself up. And I'm a soccer player, so there's a lot of sports talk where I literally <laughs> I'll go, all right, let's go. Today, 10 pages, right? Like, I'll do that to myself. And my husband, who works from home, is like, you're fucking weird. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, okay, sorry. In IT, you guys don't need to do that. But, like, in my world, there's a lot of cheering on for yourself yeah. that needs to happen. That's that's a thing that I'm I'm curious about. And we can sort of start by talking about your process, Cassia. Like, how do you get yourself to the headspace yeah, to sit I, down and do it? Right. I think um, I'm also a dirty draft type of person. I feel like as soon as I have physical pages done then like I'm like oh I can punch these up but it feels nice to just like I try to get in as much of like a fugue state as possible Mm -hmm. the first day and just get as much physically written and like the beats that you know you have to get down Mm -hmm. um and I I guess this is kind of a cheering yourself on thing I uh, the past I didn't get a, a the past two shows I've written scripts on I've been um a fan of taking like a little trip to do it. Like I, I went to Ojai and then I, my once I was set off on script over the Fourth of July holidays, which didn't include two weeks. And you nope. know, you're counting Monday as a work day, even though it's a holiday. <laughs> Saturday, Sunday counts. Yep. Oh, it does. So I found myself like on a pool. I was at Terranea and like on at the pool writing. Yeah. And so that's a fun thing. Cause you're like, I don't have any of the distractions of like, I could be cleaning or like, you know, the other things that you do to like make yourself yeah. not right. Um, <laughs> Wander around the house. Yeah. Things up, putting them down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I think just, 
seeing physical pages being produced helps and then mm-hmm. giving yourself the time to think about like go on a walk and like think about a fun joke to add or something like that yeah, yeah I think that we hear yeah. that a lot yeah this stuff often yeah. comes when you turn your brain off yeah and, exactly you know walk the dog take a shower or whatever yes it is. totally uh, what does your space look like where do you work I work at my one bedroom apartment on the couch usually I have a, I like this app called um it might be heads not headspace that's a meditation app brainwaves it's like there's a bunch of different white noise ah, sounds that like and cool. and it has like attractive l- labels like um brainstorm or like big idea and I'm like <laughs> I'm sure that's not at all different from that like sounds magic I yeah, want it it's just <laughs> it's truly fake science I'm sure but I'm like th- these waves going into my ears will brainstorm for me and so I listen to that to like kind of stop my brain from wandering yeah and yeah. I think that is uh, Amelia to to answer that unasked question like I work in coffee shops every once in a while and there's something about that white noise yeah. that, that yeah. sort of helps you and the fact in. that it like doesn't matter I mean I guess I found this more in New York than in LA where it, when yeah. I would write in New York I'd be like none of these people give a shit about what I'm doing yeah. and there's yeah. something so <laughs> freeing about there. that that yeah, doesn't true. exist as much in <laughs> LA but I'm like the people in scrubs are gonna go <laughs> save lives and I they do not care what I'm doing <laughs> here the true. travel is smart a lot of a lot of people yeah. do that yeah. I've been actually recently tweeted to Writers Guild I was like we should be getting hotel rates oh great point promo codes not that Jaime Camille would uh, give us one for Tesla (laughs) I love it but a lot of times we do I I do that as well I was just in San Francisco for five days writing um, my Hentified script and but it's the thing where you're like, oh, God, I just want to write it. I'm not here to party and to, like, yeah. bone up with my husband. I yeah. really need to get this draft yeah, out. Yeah. 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 It would be helpful. I would do that. I there is something that. to – Let's petition. Okay. If That's you don't good. have an office, if you like, I yeah. work from home also. Yeah. And, like, using that space as a writer's room. And I know there are those sort of spaces around town where you can just sort of have an office for a couple of days. But, like, we've gone to a hotel room. For a week, like we get separate rooms, mm-hmm. and then you know, my writing partner and I, and we yeah. gather in one and break a story for three days because mm-hmm. we don't live together. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, it's still That's a job. Great. I um, think one like writing. another thing I think is helpful for me is just giving myself the permission not to have to have four straight hours to get work done. Yeah. You know, like I remember once I like was waiting for my food at Chipotle, and like I like took that time to like brainstorm for a idea and I was like oh I got something out of this and I don't need like a precious full swath of time necessarily that's a that's a really good point I think that's worth you know yeah that's worth people thinking about you've yeah. earned that extra guac so yeah <laughs> that's what you're, yeah, you know what? another round I support <laughs> uh, Shukri what's a, what's your writing life I, look I'm, like I'm having such a hard time like trying to fig- uh, figure out where to begin I I, <laughs> I, uh, I mean mostly it's just a lot of struggle it's like it's basically <laughs> it's basically just uh, a, a mental war from the time I'm off the script until I, it's it's in I become a different person I mean, really? I'm scratching my head a lot I'm <laughs> Um, it's it's not good. I mean, I mean it's good, but it's because it's part of the process. I'm used yeah. to it by now. But um, I've well, never. That, let me interrupt for a sure. second. Like I feel like that's something we all sort of have to get to. Is like this miserable part. Yeah, is part of my process. So Absolutely. I have to go through it and know that it's. It's going gonna to suck to yeah. the next thing. That's right. I'm going to pace around a lot. Right. I'm going to cheer myself up a lot. 
I'm gonna. Well, first I'm gonna start with you're a fucking idiot. What are you doing? No, <laughs> can't, no. Can't do this. What are you doing? What is this? What is this? Come on, this is shit. And so how do you push through that? You gotta all of a sudden convince yourself you're a fucking god, <laughs> and then you gotta get to that place, and yeah. then just believe it, and then turn it in, and then you know go back to like I don't know, but at least you turned it in at yeah. the end. Uh, I I don't know. I try to. I, I guess I'll start with that. Mm-hmm. I've never. I've never had. I've never had so short, like three to four, at least in the, in the drama world. I've never had that had to like bang it out that quickly. I have had a week many times. That's the that's the idea. I have had two weeks. Mm-hmm. The first uh, two seasons of the show I worked on was two weeks and was great. First week, bang out a draft. Second week, revise. That's right. Perfect, right? Um, but in the shorter time period, I mean, yeah, I think like the. I, I totally agree with both of you guys. The first thing is to just get something on the page as quickly as is possible because the real work will come next. Um, so I try to do that. And that that's, you know, it's not walking away from the room and having like a pretty clear sort of uh, outline of what you're going to do makes it, you know, easier in a sense, you know, than, than – before I started working, where you're just like, I don't know, let's just come up with something. Um, so, so certainly, yeah, there's, there's, that's my, pro- that's, that's the um, sort of beginning of my process to try to put it all out uh, as quickly as is possible, and then try to revise. In terms of space, like, I've really tried to back to this, like where I started. Like, I used, I like libraries a lot, mm-hmm. so I used to try to work there a lot. But over the years, I've gotten to the place where, like, I try to treat it. I, I hate to keep using, like, war and fight analogies, <laughs> but that's that's what it feels like for me. Absolutely. So I try to treat it like I got to be able to fight anywhere. So if I, if I, if somebody attacks me, or if, so, <laughs> if I've got to be able to just fight. So if I have to fight at a bus stop or, like, on the oh bus or on the train or on the sidewalk or in the two hours that I have before my daughter wakes up or whatever – like I gotta try to do mm-hmm. good work and do it then, um, and just sort of turn it on and try to try to work through it. But I spend a lot of hours uh, when I'm off on script. I mean, that becomes my life day in and day mm-hmm. out. Uh, I try to regiment my day. Breaks are hugely important for me because I don't think my brain can't function for more than three or four hours at yeah. a time, and then after I have to take a break and come back and. Yeah. I get up and walk around a lot. I don't know. It just looks like if you looked at it, you would look like this is a crazy person. Well, that, that's part of it, right? And like yeah. you're you're married. I don't know if your yes. your wife is in the business, but like my wife works from home also, and that she just sees me walking around the house. And yeah. For me to have to be like, this is work. Like this is part of it. Yeah. And I know I'm taking the dog. Like he's limping at this point because I'm taking him out so much. <laughs> yeah. But like that's that's where some of the work comes, even though it doesn't look like work. Absolutely. This is why spouses, um, and you think 15 years in, my husband would know. The worst question to ask is, "Did you get any writing done?" <laughs> oh my gosh. No, right. no, dude. Divorce, that's, divorce after that question. That's the least part it's, of the job. Yeah, and it's such a question that should never be asked. It's funny. You know, because it's it could be I figured something out in 15 minutes. It yeah. could be yeah. that I'm not going to say you're going to war because you sound like an awesome soldier, first of all. <laughs> but it's it's that. It's whether it was in two hours, whether it was in whatever space of time you gave it. Um, right. But it is it is sometimes life does force you to manage that time in a different way in a different way. Um, 
But I love your description of anger and like craziness. That <laughs> I think we have it on the inside. You're yeah. just smart yeah. and you just yeah. warn the world. <laughs> you warn the world. It's like a blinking light. <laughs> uh, you all have been terrific. I want to wrap up as we always do by asking you what you are watching on television these days. What is getting you oh. excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your room, your friends, your mm-hmm. loved ones? Uh, and Shakri, let's start with you. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is I'm still in the middle of uh, uh, Maisel. Mm-hmm. Miss Maisel, which is great. Watching second season of Friends from College, which I think is great mm. too. Oh, I know I'm forgetting something that's pro- Oh, well, this is embarrassing, but I'm going to say it anyway. We would love the embarrassing. This is ones. so embarrassing. I am, my wife and I finally decided to watch Game of Thrones. That's not embarrassing. It's that- embarrassing that you're watching it. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Cassia, what are you watching these days? Um, I couldn't stop talking about Escape at Danamora um, mm-hmm. on Showtime. I really loved that show. Um, I feel like I'm in a drought now. Oh, uh, my husband and I are watching a show on Netflix called Call Your Agent, and it's in French. And it is about the industry, but it's also beautifully French, and you are sure. in Paris watching <laughs> it. Um, and then I'm just waiting for certain great shows to come back what like, are those great shows I love Killing Eve yeah. I love um, Fleabag I love oh, Catastrophe I love Insecure I keep forgetting about Catastrophe yeah it's coming back for another season <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, Fleabag I love is Homeland. coming back yeah. yeah oh great okay. yeah I love I don't watch a ton of network stuff I like all that I don't know anyone who does anymore wow. yeah like the good place is it. Yeah, yeah. I do watch like the, you good place got lucky. I love the good place. Yeah, yeah, but other than that, yeah. Uh, and Survivor. Uh, Amelia, what? <laughs> Snuck that in. Uh, what are you watching? I love watching um, Flea Market Flip. Oh, and that's a great show. Check- Laura, and, what's, what's and there's, I just can't follow a story right now. I've, again, Ooh. knock on wood and light on my Jesus candles. Uh, I've been really busy for the last year. And so all these great shows are serialized. And yeah. so I was like, I can't get yeah. fucking into that step. Like, you know, I'll never stop. So um, Flea Market Flip is this great show. Where two teams uh, each get five hundred dollars at the, like the world's biggest flea market and oh somewhere in one of the Carolinas, and they have to do three assignments out of whatever shit storm they pick from. You know, have this c- group of carpenters and designers help them, and then go try to sell it at a hipster flea market in New York, <laughs> and whoever has the most profit margins wins five thousand dollars. I feel like you could be making this up. No, no. it's true. She's I've seen it. Very it's fantastic. It's, very good. it's Jesus. So funny. It's so good, and there's something about it that I love about the the financial competition, the creative competition, and the collaboration that is just fascinating awesome. and then and then also like they can show up and it rained that day right like yeah. too bad and then you're like nobody's gonna buy that zebra with frills and then this woman's like this looks amazing in my study I'll give you 300 and you're like what <laughs> so and you think all the West Elm looking shit's gonna w- gonna win but right. like it doesn't and so there's some again the psychology I also love the psychology of money for a lot of reasons but I was like I'm in that's hilarious I'll watch that shit all day one. It's a good one, yeah. And I think everyone's watching um, the Tidy Up or Tidying Up or what right, I'm saying right, it wrong right. on Netflix. I think everybody's doing that. I couldn't Twitter forget. tells me everyone's watching. Twitter yeah. tells me. I did it for my medicine cabinet, so I thought I want. I was like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> that was it. Exhausting. Yeah. I'm all allergies on one side. <laughs> Kids allergies on the left. I win. <laughs> yeah, you did it. I you did could it. be on the show. Yeah, I could win. I can win, yeah. Uh, thank you all so much for being here. Thanks I really for appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having me. Forever. 
Dog! This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.